Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. This is episode 25, Inferno, Canto 25, the second day, between 9am and 11am. Good afternoon. I'm sitting at my kitchen table, overlooking my quiet, leafy London suburb, with some heaviness in my heart. In case anyone is listening to these a long time after it goes live tomorrow, it's day of Pentecost and about the fifth day into the civil unrest in the United States. Without meaning to start a political debate, since I've created this podcast as escapism, I can't help but see in the authorities the same corruption that Dante was addressing in his time, and it makes me incredibly sad. I've always been of the opinion that Cicero was right in seeing history as the witness of time, the light of truth, the life of memory, and the teacher of life, although I guess my historiography professor better not stumble upon this before he thinks that I haven't learned anything from him about the relativity of historical truth and the nature of sources. Anyway, I digress. What I'm trying to say is that we have so much that should teach us about human nature and the mistakes we make so that we can stop making them, but instead it seems to be worse the more history we accumulate behind us. To use a famous internet catchphrase, I can't even... Today's chapter picks up from where we left yesterday with Vanni Fucci and finds him ready to blaspheme when a snake will prevent him from doing so. This is a rather interesting upside-down version of the events in the Garden of Eden when the serpent was the one feeding lies to Eve. Dante will utter an exclamation asking the whole city of Pistoia to give up existing since they have surpassed the evilness of their ancestors. Then, bring the story back to Vanni, whom he defines as even more arrogant against God than Capenius. And after that, Vanni will run away and be replaced in the scene by the centaur Caco, looking for him. The ancestors alluded to are, according to a legend, the survivors from Catiline's army. That's, I presume, a reference to the battle against Gaius Antonius, after the failure of the conspiracy to overthrow the Roman Republic in 63 BC, which happened near Pistoia. Um, Virgil will be the one telling us that the centaur was Caco and what he had done to be there, and not with the other centaurs. He appeared also in Dinate, so it makes sense that Virgil would be the one who knew him best. Now, some of the info they relate to us is true, but I looked it up, and the description of Caco in the original mythology is not as a centaur, he did indeed die at the hand of Hercules, after he attempted to steal the cattle that Hercules had taken from Garion, uh, last of a number of robberies that had terrorized the area. He goes on to look for Vanifucci, and three spirits appear to the two travelers in his stead. Dante did not recognize them until one of them called for another one by name. There is a bizarre interlude in which Dante recounts the events of the attack of a giant snake with its feet, and then another attack by a smaller snake, and then he goes off about classical poetry and what Luke and Anovid wrote before. What's happening this time is that the Dante and the snake are becoming a different creature, which is more in line with the theme of the metamorphosis which we touched upon yesterday than the example that we had yesterday. 
Dante is challenging the two classical authors who wrote of single transformations because theirs was a double one. Um, both snakes and men became something else. In the first case, a single creature altogether, while in the second case, they became each other. Now, the people talked about in this chapter are supposedly five famous thieves from Florence, and I really want to dig into why the reticence in discussing who they were compared to previous damned. The first one we see, although technically isn't there, is Cianfadonati, who was a politician in Florence who had died sometime before 1289. Nobody knows why he is in the Bolgia except for a roundabout mention in the Chronicles of Giovanni Villani, which reports that the Donati family was nicknamed Malefami, which I guess would be best translated as infamous. Some interpreters think that it was the six-legged snake that attacked the character who was calling him. Such character was Agnolo Brunelleschi, and this scenes has captured the imagination of artists ever since. A prank by William Blake held at the Tate Britain shows us what it may have looked like. I'm not sure I'm going to get any sleep tonight, as I said it. Anyway, this guy is literally called Lamb, but that's beside the point. He was a Guelph, whose family switched sides from white to black. There is very little biographical information, but commentators are pretty confident that, given Champ and Danielle are mentioned together, Dante meant those two. Like, some people are going to be that recognisable to his audience 700 years ago. It's like me writing today about Boris and Dominic. You are going to know I'm in Johnson and Cummings. The Encyclopedia Dantesca gives us a tiny hypothesis of what the crime was and why they possibly metamorphosed into one another. Um, sorry, they metamorphosed into one. Agnolo stole the profits from his position of power for his own gain. In the language of the time, that was one of the meanings of the word plagium, which also covers the crime of Chamfa. They are seen, in line with St. Thomas Aquinas' thinking, as the active and passive form of plagium. That's from the Summa Theologiae, second part of the second part, question 66, answer 6, and that's why they get punished together as two sides of a single coin. This kind of double punishment seems to be behind the next metamorphosis, although they would not merge into one creature, but become one the man and one the serpent, and that's kind of like why I got confused uh, slightly earlier on. The angry snake, which to me sounds a lot like the black adder after which Edmund is named, was probably Francesco de Cavalcanti, since the final verse of the canto is a reference to the town of Figline Valdarno, which was at the time called Gaville. This man, nicknamed the Guercio, was killed by his fellow citizens under circumstances that are not clear, and his family avenged him, which explains the reference to the lamentation. The name attacked we hear from the former snake was Bozodonati, on which the Guercio wished some kind of revenge. Everything we know about him is that his grandfather was named the same and that Donati Jr. was also uh, was a signatory in the peace treaty between Guelphs and Ghibellines in 1280. There is no rumour about theft or anything for us to go by about that, really. The last man is the one Dante recognised, Puccio de Galigai, 
who was nicknamed Shankato. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time reading my notes because I can't turn off the grammar check that has like little distracting red lines underneath and it's correcting everything that I write in Italian. Anyway, he was nicknamed Shankato and it was a Ghibelline who had been exiled from Florence with his family but then had returned as another signatory of the same peace treaty. There is no record to go by for his theory either and there have been various unconvincing hypotheses as to why Dante did not describe him as having a special punishment on top of the general contrapasso of the Bolgia. Dante declares himself a confused spectator of these events and I have to say I'm as confused as he was. Perhaps tomorrow's episode will bring us some clarity. Ciao! Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is Panfer 10 or Ets if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.